Chapter 14 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are on the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siddharth. Nature's Miracles, Volume 2, Energy and Vibration by Elisha Cray. Chapter 14. Expansion. Expansion under heat is able to produce enormous pressure. The iron or steel nails laid down on the ties of a railroad bed have to be separated at the joints where they abut, so as to allow for the increased length when they expand during a hot day. A story was told to me as coming from a locomotive engineer who was running a train across the western plains one very hot day. That illustrates the wonderful power of expansion. He said that the track for a long distance in front of him suddenly picked itself up, ties and all, from the roadbed and laid the whole thing over in a ditch without disconnecting the rails or deattaching them from the ties. The day being very hot, the rails had lengthened till all the spaces between the ends of the rails had closed up and something had to give for the expansive force of solids, although short is irresistible. The jar of the train as it approached, the rails being under great strain, was just enough to loosen the ties from the roadbed. When the track moved upward and outward in the arc of a circle till there was room to accommodate the increased length of the rails due to expansion. Every day when the sun shines, the top of Bunker Hill Monument is thrown out of plumb several inches by the power of expansion. The same is true of any tower or shaft constructed in the same way. The side that the sun's rays fall upon is expanded, while the opposite remains practically the same. All the molecules on the sunny side are thrown into greater activity, as we have seen, require more space in which to move. This causes the column to bend away from the sun in the form of a curve, a curious exhibition of the power of expansion is related by Tyndale as taking place on the roof of the Bristol Cathedral. He says, The roof of the choir of the Bristol Cathedral was covered with sheet lead, the length of the covering being 60 feet and its depth 19 feet 4 inches. It had been laid on in the year 1851 and two years afterward it had moved bodily for a distance of 18 inches. The descent had been continually going on from the time the lead had been laid. An attempt made to stop it by driving nails into the rafters had failed, for the force with which the lead descended was sufficient to draw out the nails. The roof was not a steep one, and the lead would have rested there forever without sliding down by gravity. What then was the cause of the descent? Simply this. The lead was exposed to the varying temperatures of day and night. During the day, the heat imparted to it caused it to expand. Had it lain upon a horizontal surface, it would have expanded equally all around. But as it lay on an inclined surface, it expanded more freely downward than upward. When on the contrary, the lead contracted at night, its upper edge was drawn more easily downward than its lower edge upward. Its motion was therefore exactly that of a common earthworm. It pushed its lower edge forward during the day and drew its upper edge after it during the night. And thus, by degrees, it crawled through a space of 18 inches in two years. A much more wonderful exhibition of the expansive force of heat is found in the play 
of the geysers of our own Yellowstone Park. In what is called the Upper Geyser Basin, there are hundreds, yes, thousands of hot springs in all phases of activity to the spouting geyser, often rising hundreds of feet into the air. Some years ago, I visited the park and spent some time studying the wonderful phenomena of the most interesting region, and I venture to say that to any lover of the marvels in nature, there is no spot in wide world where there is so much of intense interest as there is to be found within the area of a few hundred acres in the upper geyser basin of Yellowstone Park. It would be difficult to explain the operation of some of these geysers, for they are very complicated. Often one great geyser will be connected with many smaller ones together with boiling springs, all of which play some part in the grand exhibitions that periodically occur. The phenomenon of single geyser such as Old Faithful that plays so regularly that one may set his watch by it is not difficult to explain. Let us construct in our imaginations an artificial geyser. We must premise, however, a few remarks regarding the boiling point of water. Water bursts into steam at 212 degrees Fahrenheit in an open vessel at sea level. But at the top of Mount Blanc, it boils at 185 degrees Fahrenheit. The boiling point of a fluid is always that point where the tension of the vapor is equal to the pressure of the atmosphere. At sea level, the atmospheric pressure is 15 pounds to the square inch. And so 15 pounds to the square inch is the unit of pressure for gases and is called an atmosphere. Any pressure less than 15 pounds is less than an atmosphere. It will be seen from the above that water boils at less than an atmosphere on top of Mount Planck. Fluids will boil from the heat of the hand if the pressure is sufficiently reduced. On the other hand, if this pressure is more than one atmosphere, water will not boil at 212 degrees but will require a higher temperature. If we put water into a strong bottle with a large mouth and boil it over a spirit lamp, at sea level it will boil at 212 degrees. Now cork the bottle and it will soon stop boiling on account of the additional pressure caused by the steam in the space above the water. The pressure now is more than one atmosphere, but if heat is kept up, it will reach a point where the tension of the vapor will overcome the resistance of the cork and the cork will fly out. What takes place? The pressure on the water immediately drops to one atmosphere. The water in the bottle is heated much above the boiling point at one atmosphere pressure. Therefore, as soon as the pressure is taken off, by the cork flying out, the water all bursts suddenly into stream. Let us take a tube any length, say 6 feet long and 1 inch in diameter, close it at the bottom end and surround it with a basin at the top and fill it with water. Now apply heat at the bottom of the tube sufficiently to boil the water. It will require more than 212 degrees to boil it at the bottom on account of the pressure of the column of water above. But finally, it does begin to form steam at the bottom. This lifts the column of water so that some of it runs into the basin. Immediately, this takes place. The pressure on the overheated water at the bottom is taken off enough to allow it to all burst into steam. When the whole column of water above is thrown into the air, this cools the water and as it has been caught in the basin, it turns back into the tube when in few minutes the same operation is repeated. 
the above will illustrate the fundamental law that is active in the play of natural geyser. Geysers are found where there are heat vents reaching down into the interior of the earth. These vents occur when the crust of the earth has been broken, as it is on mountain ranges. They are the ending up of what was once a volcanic crater. It is necessary for these heat vents to be located where water can run into them in order to produce geyser action. A natural geyser in most cases forms itself. It starts with a boiling spring, the hot water being loaded with silica or as it is called geyserite. This in most cases is pure white and is deposited on the sides and top around the spring and gradually builds up, sometimes to a great height forming a tube. When the tube gets sufficiently long and the heat at the right distance below is sufficiently great, it begins to flow intermittently. The longer the tube, the thermal conditions being the same, the longer the time will be between the eruptions of the geyser. Of the principal ones I saw in the upper geyser basin of Yellowstone Park, the sawmill played every few minutes, old faithful every hour, the grand and splendid about every 26 hours, and the giant once in four days, and the giantess once in 14 days. I was so fortunate as to see all these and many more in operation. It was a wonderful illustration of the effect of motion upon mo emotion. No two of them produced the same effect upon the beholder. Old Faithful was majestically grand. It gave one a sense of great power exerted with wonderful grandeur and dignity. The giantess was very erratic in her play, and this is no reflection upon her sex, throwing the water first one way and then another, pausing a moment and then starting up again. And this was kept up for many hours, while most of the geysers stopped playing in a few minutes. But the giantess is only the chief one of the system of smaller geysers that are connected in some mysterious way with the mother of them all. About 200 feet from the giantess is a geyser called the beehive that always plays a certain number of hours, I think eight, after the geyser, after the giantess begins. One half an hour before the beehive plays, there is a little jet, two or three inches in diameter, that starts up close beside it. And this is called the indicator. The beehive is a curious formation. It has a nozzle something like a fire hose only about 3 feet in diameter and stands up several feet above the surface. When it plays it does so with terrific force. It throws a round jet 100 or more feet into the air, the full size of the nozzle. The roar is like a thunder and can be heard from miles. Any size stone that is thrown into the stream is carried upward with great force. The effect of this geyser is to almost terrify the beholder. It conveys such a sense of awful power. But the geyser that produced the greatest excitement and enthusiasm of all was called the Grand, which played once in 26 hours. It would be impossible to give an adequate word picture of the play of this wonderfully beautiful geyser. When I saw it in action, it was late in the afternoon and standing between the sun and the geyser with my back to the former, I had the advantage of the reflected light, which is very bright in that high altitude. Close by the side of the geyser is a steam blowhole about 6 inches in diameter, and all about are a number of boiling springs that are connected with the geyser. 
just before the play begins, all these springs are in great agitation in sympathy with the coming event. As a final preliminary, this team blowhole starts up, giving a blast of terrific power. I once witnessed the coming of the Sultan of Turkey through the palace gates, where he found himself surrounded by 10,000 soldiers who blew trumpets and sent up shouts that were intended to be very impressive. But this scene paled in impressiveness when compared with nature's announcement of one of her grandest displays. Immediately, the steam trumpet made the announcement. The water in the top basin of the great geyser heaved several times as if unable to make a start, and then lifted itself up bodily for more than 100 feet into the air, when there began the most beautifully sublime and at the same time the most exciting spectacle I ever witnessed before or ever expect to again. It assumed the shape of a beautifully formed evergreen tree whose branches cover the trunk down to the ground, the tips of which are loaded with cones set with purest diamonds. These cones shot out from the center on moving stems and burst into brilliancy at the limit of the tree-like form, producing an effect something like that of a rocket when it first bursts in the air and before it has fully spread. Imagine thousands of these jets moving in all directions and bursting into beautiful colors, now vanishing and now others taking their places, till one is excited to the highest pitch by this wonderful exhibition of color, form and motion. All the time, nature's great steam foghorn is sounding its thunderous note beside the geyser, as if sympathizing with this mighty effort of pent-up energy. After keeping up this wonderful display for 15 minutes, it suddenly stops, all but the steam jet, which seems as vigorous as ever, and the water rapidly recedes down the tube of the geyser till, till out of sight. In a few seconds, the water is seen quietly but rapidly coming to the top, and when it reaches there, it suddenly bursts into a full form and height for one short moment, and recedes as before. It comes back and recedes seven times, and at each coming, it makes the same burst until at the seventh pulsation the steam jet suddenly stops, as much as to say, gentlemen, the show is over. All the numerous springs that are connected with this geyser are now found to be empty, such as some of the wonderful exhibitions caused by the expansive power of heat upon water. End of chapter 14